And we are live back with another episode of Shifting the Narrative on Everything Autism. I'm Torin Kearns, and as usual, I'm joined by the autism sage herself, Mama Baden. How are you? I am good. And full disclosure to our listeners, um, last time uh, we uh, recorded, I think my grandbaby was just born. <laughs> and now I'm actually here um, in person with her. So that's um, just an update for the listeners on what's going on. But I'm also excited because we are joined today by a speech therapist. Yay! <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I rarely um, uh, get to engage with speech therapists because number one, everyone's busy. Um, and number two, it's tough to find speech therapists who really want to work with the autistic community. So I'm excited that you are here. Um, I don't think I can call myself a speech therapist anymore because I'm not licensed by choice um, because I do other things. But that that there are doctors problem. who lost their license decades ago that still call themselves doctors. <sighs> really? Well, it's all good. So. Mm-hmm. We are here with Lenora, and Lenora, um, can you maybe give a little insight about um, who you are and and sort of what brought you here so our listeners can get to know you a little? Absolutely. I was lucky enough to reach out to you guys and hear back from you after I heard your (laughs) podcast. I absolutely loved it. So thank you so much for having me here. My name is Lenora Edwards, and I am a board-certified speech-language pathologist with Better Speech. Better Speech is actually an online speech therapy company, and we provide speech therapy services throughout the nation and internationally. We've been online since long before the pandemic, so we're very comfortable on Zoom. <laughs> and we are over 150 speech language pathologists strong. That's exciting. Um, just out of curiosity, do you find that the um, speech therapists that apply or even the speech therapists that you have are they speech therapists who are fresh new out of school or do you guys, is it folks who have done um, in person and they're ready to transition just because of life changes or whatever? Their that is an amazing question. That and really actually... is. That's a, I was actually thinking that too. I was like, <laughs> this is why I'm glad we were able to, to we were worried Stacy wouldn't make it. I'm glad you were able to, because as a former speech therapist, current, as far as I'm concerned, you could ask questions <laughs> I couldn't. So that was great. We are actually, we each have about a minimum of 10 years experience. So there's no clinical fellowship or anything. Mm -hmm. We've actually been out in the field. And for myself, I've worked in the NICU and the PICU, inpatient, outpatient rehab Mm -hmm. with kids, with adults all over the map. So I've really had quite the, the wonderful background of working in a variety of settings, which really allows us to use a lot of tools and a lot of experience Mm -hmm. so that we can provide care the way that we do. Good. I'm glad to hear that. I will say just because, um, you know, I do online parent coaching and I do find that there are a lot of young, fresh out of college, um, Younger. Uh, this wonderful generation of 20 year old folks feel that they should be able to get the lead position, even though they don't have their feet wet, as we used to say. Um, so I like that it, um, that you guys require for them to have that you know, hands-on because it's hard to coach parents how to carry out the therapy strategies if you haven't actually done them yourself. (laughs) I completely hear you. And I I love that because you really want somebody who quite literally has had that experience and has that experience, not only from their own personal experience, but they've worked with colleagues Mm -hmm. that are telling stories or you're teaming up with somebody else and you have that thought flexibility and that teamwork Mm -hmm. to really learn from other professionals. And it's a huge difference, you know, when you're working with people and, and having those water cooler conversations and being in yeah. the treatment room with other team members, huge, huge, priceless, incredibly valuable experiences. Yeah, yeah. it does make a difference. I also think that um, in terms of just that professional growth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there's a certain level, and I'm, I'm really particularly focusing on this because there are a lot of eager young therapists and teachers as well who feel that, you know, oh, you know, I should be able to. And I'm like, uh, you know, there's a lot to be said about experience, right? There's a lot to be said about experience. And I know I'm old school, but Ooh, I think that experience makes a difference. <laughs> um, it really even, does. Even, yeah. Even how to how to talk to parents, right? That's a skill set you have to build as a professional and a therapist. Um, how do you get them to buy into doing the strategy? So do you all have, um, 
Is there a particular training that you all provide for oncoming therapists um, because everyone is so coming from different diverse backgrounds? That's a really great question too. Man, Stacy, these questions are phenomenal. We really, especially because we are nationwide. So with that, with, there's two components. We are board certified, which means we have the education and we've passed our, our boards and we are certified and licensed by the American Speech, Hearing and Language Association. So by mm-hmm. ASHA. Then as we are licensed, I live in the state of Pennsylvania, but I am actually licensed in five states. So I mm-hmm. have the ability to work with people all over the world or all over the U.S., I should say. What's great about that is because none of us really are in the next room, mm-hmm. we really come together and we use the technology to our advantage. So we are together on Slack and we do have monthly right. meetings and we do even have, you know, like fun, fun luncheons where mm-hmm. we get on and we Zoom with other people because that's we're not in the same place, but we mm-hmm. can still have so many things in common and really learn from each other. So okay. there is a unity among the speech therapists, which is really, really important, as you well know, working with colleagues of, of mm-hmm. all types. Good. That's exciting to know that you guys keep that professional sort of um, mentoring um, open so that everybody mm-hmm. can learn from one another. What do you find um, in terms of, you know, not just yourself, but the other speech therapist, what are the challenges? There's pros and cons to everything. So I think it's wonderful that, um, you know, we can do virtual because I do virtual, you know, I mean, that's what I do every day, talking, coaching parents. But I also sometimes think, God, I wish I could snap my fingers and be in Tanzania and kind of demonstrate and model that for you because, you know, you're struggling. And I used to have children before COVID that I could do that with, but, um, So what are the challenges around doing virtual speech therapy and never sort of having that one-on-one with uh, the kiddo? (laughs) Completely. And I love that question. With one-on-one speech therapy, especially online, the great thing is that when that kiddo is there, we have the parent and the guardian there and we get to coach them Mm -hmm. and explain to them what we're doing and why we're doing it and how to make it functional. Me personally, I am big into high fives and like, you're doing a great job, you know, because you're when you're in the therapy room, you do have that energetic rapport component Mm -hmm. that you do like to build with your clients. So we do the best to work around that part. Mm -hmm. I would say that's like, you know, when especially when they want to give you a hug and and you're so excited for them because they're meeting their goals and they're Mm -hmm. making these accomplishments and you want to celebrate with them. So we find other ways to do that electronically, yes. but that would be, the, that'd be the missing component would be like the physical high fives yeah. or, or passing things to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. very different. So what do you find are the positives, right? Like why do, um, you know, I'm, I'm assuming, I don't know that most families get virtual services because the reality of it is that we can't find enough speech therapists. I mean, I was a speech therapist. I started in 19, Actually, I received, I don't know if you, um, I know that you're younger than me, but in 1989, when I was in my undergrad, they decided speech therapists would have to have a new path. Mm-hmm. And I was the last class to be able to get a license because we did our 500 clock hours <laughs> before our master's and we could get a license and work mm-hmm. and then they changed it. So I received the last one, December, 1989. And, um, you know, we still had to get our C's at, as yeah. a master's level. But uh, so uh, I remember sort of the shift, but we've always had shortages. I mean, I mm-hmm. worked in a school system where I had two different cities, three different schools and 103 children on my caseload. Like there's always been a shortage of therapists. So I'm assuming a lot of parents come to your company because there's a lack of, but what is it that keeps them there um, in terms of what are the benefits of having this available online speech therapy for families everywhere? I'm just going to say happy anniversary for your speech pathology component. Absolutely. And I agree with Torin because it's completely valid when there, especially the fact that you yourself have experienced the shortage, these graduate programs, they're amazing. They're about 20 a pop, 20 people a pop. And it's not that more people aren't applying. It's that this is what the program can support Mm -hmm. and to really ensure that we are able to really dedicate to those students that are coming through. So there it's, you know, it's a double-edged sword because we need more and there are people that want more, but we also want to do quality care. We want that quality component coming out. And And, and Lenora, I'm so sorry. And I know you understand as a speech therapist, I just got an idea. I know I asked you a question, but I want to follow up on that because I think that listeners, 
you know, people don't know why parents say, you know, well, we don't have any speech therapists. Why can't I get, why am I waiting? Why isn't the school? I'm like, cause there aren't enough people to get through programs. And what you just said was exactly what we brought up. We were fighting against it because we said, now you're going to limit less therapists because now people can't work until they have a master's. And our argument was, why don't you do it just like they do for the OTs and the PTs? Five years, you get a master's and you're out. They never would do that. And the other part that was frustrating was because speech therapists in the schools, which I loved working in the schools, mm-hmm. but we were part of staff. So we, we had to get licensure, master's seed, but we also just got teacher salary. So mm-hmm. you didn't even get, and the, the OTs and the PTs always got paid more. And we had the same credentials. And our argument was whenever you sit in an IEP meeting, the first thing parents say, whether their child can walk in a wheelchair, whether they can feed themselves, how can my child communicate? But the speech therapists were less valued and less paid. Not that we don't feel like we're better than teachers, but we had a lot of money and time we had to go and we have to maintain a licensure and your credit. So it was a huge thing where lots of therapists left and went to contract work because they got paid better. So, you know, these are things that I guess I'm bringing up the point because parents, I think, have the power to start saying we need to make some changes. We need to make it so that we can get folks out in the field where they're needed and not have the backlog into grad school. But we also understand the grad school can't just funnel through tons of people and they aren't prepared. Mm -hmm. So I will pause and stop with that. Um, but I just, I don't get to talk about this because it's not something people talk about. And a lot of folks that I worked with are all retired. And so it's been a struggle for, you know, 35 plus years. It was just trying to get we more used to, therapist. I feel like you remember, but there used to be assistants. We used yes. to have, yeah. Yep. And now yep. there, there'll be for our listeners, we have occupational therapists and then we have certified occupational therapy assistants. For physical mm-hmm. therapy, we have a physical therapist and a mm-hmm. physical therapy assistant. Mm-hmm. For we used to have speech therapy assistants, but they actually grandfathered them out and and away. Yeah. So it is it's strange how similar these fields are when it mm-hmm. comes to therapy and how different they also are when it comes to therapy. So there is a lot um, a lot of question marks I think in our field that oh, hopefully the kinks will eventually work out in time. I'm very <laughs> What's excited. What's the that. reason for this though? What's the reason for not having assistants when the other adjacent therapy fields do i think it was the organization that decided that Mm -hmm. they didn't want the assistants to be to be offering the treatment anymore at that point and maybe it's because the field really is i usually tell people and stacy i feel like you'll laugh at this one we work from the neck and up we see people for Mm -hmm. swallowing difficulty for cognitive Mm -hmm. for communication for memory loss we see them for so many Mm -hmm. and because of that, it might have been so big where they thought, you know what, having assistant isn't yeah. in our safest interest anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And it might have been that component. I think that is exactly what it is. You just worded it better than I would have in terms of speech therapists do a wide variety of things opposed to PTOT. I'm not saying they don't have different things that they do, but it's mm-hmm. pretty black and white. Um, speech therapists do, do a lot. Um, I also think and this just may be my biased opinion. I've just never felt that speech therapists were valued and speech and communication was valued. Um, even in the autism community, you know, when parents are looking at, you know, my child needs to learn how to learn their colors. And I'm like, but they're not able to ask for juice. Why is that not a priority? You know, knowing your ABCs. Okay, fine. Great. Your child can add, but they can't communicate. That's mm-hmm. not going to give them a job. Mm-hmm. So I think that even communication is not even seen. It's like walking, moving your body is seen as a priority and communicating is it's, it's, I mean, I hadn't really thought about it, but I think that's really just thinking of even when parents think of what are the goals you want for your child. And when they Mm -hmm. say, I want them to sit for 12 minutes, I'm like, so we're not interested in communicating. Like that's Mm -hmm. not a priority. Um, And I don't know why people don't, because that's the most frustrating thing for kids. And I think it's because, you know, our, our culture, the way that we, you know, they think I want to hear my first words, but they don't see all this communication mm-hmm. that has already been occurring since day yeah. one. Or they also want um, it, you when we say, oh, we're speech therapy. It's very, very clear that it's a speech component and people don't think mm-hmm. cognitive communication, express yes. expression. You know, and we t- and, and as a speech therapist, Stacey, I'm sure you know, there's two parts to language and you say it often. 
-hmm. There's the receptive component, our ability to understand language. And then there's the expressive, our Mm -hmm. ability to actually effectively clearly express everything that we're saying. And we think we for quite literally, when we grow up, we don't remember that whole language development. So we, Mm -hmm. People just think it happens automatically and they don't realize the nurturing and the importance that really goes into it, especially Mm -hmm. if it came easily to them and they never worked with a speech therapist. So these are things that are just automatic and they're like, oh, I want to hear the ABCs. That's an automatic thing Mm -hmm. because I know my ABCs really easily. So there's a lot more cognitive and conscious awareness that I think our field jointly is raising the awareness of what really is communication and the importance of being able to express themselves. A large majority can express themselves, but there also is a number of people that can't. Mm -hmm. And what about those people? Because that's incredibly important. And Stacey, I I want to jump in real quick and ask both of you, but I guess Stacey first, you mentioned how there's two components effectively to speech and how most people don't remember that because we just kind of do it naturally. For some of the, in both of your experiences, in some of your autistic clients, do you notice some, what are some of the differences you notice with the autistic clients in sort of mastering those two parts of speech versus more neurotypical or other ND children? Well, you know, I will start off by saying assume competency. People think because non-speaking means that children don't understand. I'm like, yeah, they do understand. And they're hearing everything that you say about them when you keep saying they are not like, stop saying that in front of them. <laughs> they actually hear what you're saying and they're processing it. Um, I also think that um, uh, Lorraine, Lenora, I'm sorry, Lenora, you brought up a really good point in terms of the missing, they miss the moments, right? Um, and a perfect example related to your question, Torin, is, you know, my parents will often say, you know, I, I just don't, you know, I don't think that they, they understand. I don't think they understand. They don't, I don't think they understand. I'm like, so what how do you give me an example of that? Right. And they'll say, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll ask them, you know, what color is this? And and one day they say blue and and the next thing they can't say anything. And I'm like, so they knew the color. Did you think they just forgot the color? And secondly, if I look behind, I see all of their toys color coded. I think they know their colors. Can we move on to something else? Right. Because like you said, Lenora, they're looking for that one thing, that ABC they're looking for, and I will, I will end with what is the, my favorite story, Torn. I think I told another podcast where one of my wonderful, wonderful families um, were in a session and typically at the end, their kiddo comes in and says goodbye to, to me. And um, he comes over and I said, oh, you know, bye. And he looked at me and said, bye. He didn't wave his hand. He just looked and said, bye after me. He appropriately responded. You know, I don't like to use the word appropriately, but he communicated effectively um, in a timely manner. And his parents said, wave to Miss Stacy, wave bye to Miss Stacy. And they kept saying, wave bye to Miss Stacy. And they were like, see, he won't wave bye. I said, because he already said bye, like he already finished the communication exchange and he's done. So because they were looking for this, they missed the actual communication. And that is where the thinking they don't have receptive language comes into play. The other part is a lot of times our children are not assessed fairly um, when they're non-speaking um, if they don't have the right um, person, right? They they just say they don't know. I mean, I've had so many kids. I'm sure you have too, where the evaluation says they don't know anything. And I'm like, uh, yeah, they do. We need to like redo this. <laughs> yes. And oftentimes I- functioning labels and autism is based weighed so heavily on uh, ability to use mouth words. Yes. It's like that, like if you can speak, they will label you as quote unquote high functioning and pretty mm-hmm. much just ignore everything else. Mm-hmm. And vice versa, if you struggle with mouth words, you're like you're like likely to be labeled level two or yeah. level three, yeah. irregardless of anything else you present. So it's so it's unfortunate that so much is put into speech, into mouth words. And that was done with the deaf community as well. Years, hundreds of years ago, they thought the deaf were stupid, you know, for lack of a better term, they said deaf and dumb. Yeah. And it's, it's very unfortunate. And and I love your platform on how you're reframing and, and you're restructuring the way that people look at autism, because I agree with you. People think that they, these, this individual doesn't know anything and that's not the case at all. 
And we also see this in people who have strokes when mm -hmm. they can't get their words out people. And, and I know you mentioned this in one of the other podcasts, like they come over and pat your head and like, Oh, good to see you. And it's like, no, no, they're a human and they're, they're not, you don't talk yeah. to somebody like that. And it's kind of these things that we picked up throughout the culture, throughout a movie or something like that, where they're just not appropriate, but they seemed appropriate in that mm -hmm. moment. And that's what our brain decided to pick up. So really just re-educating people and saying, this is a person, mm -hmm. treat them with respect and integrity. Yes. No matter, I, and I might not do computational models with this person, but I can say hello appropriately and, mm -hmm. and be kind and considerate to them. Absolutely. Especially if they're nonverbal. And some people who have no verbal skills, they're, they're literal, will claim it as the words, mm -hmm. but they can use technology mm -hmm. in ways that you can't even imagine. I oh know. my God, they're so incredibly smart and they're able to use the technology to their advantage and completely function in this world. But because they don't have words, suddenly you're taking that away from them. Yep. It's, it's really just ongoing education and reframing. Yeah. I, I'm so glad that we live in, and I know folks who may not remember before technology, you know, you could not get access to an AAC device. Now parents can get it and put it in, like, just get it, get it, get something in, in front of your kiddo because kids can pick up on it and learn how to use it. Um, and before it was always a waiting game. I mean, it's still a waiting game for some scenarios, but at least it's accessible for people to have options to even try things for, for um, wh whether it's autism related or not. Um, it's a, what did I say? It's a wonderful time in, in the world to have a disability because you have apps that can tell blind people how to dress and color code without relying on someone else to do it for them. And, and it's wonderful that you can rely on technology to do things independently, um, which is what most people do. I'm not saying that you have to do everything on your own, but you all understand the concept of, mm -hmm. I would like to get dressed and not have to get someone to pick up my clothes for me as a 30 year old person who just happens to be visually impaired. So it's great that we have those things. Um, so I'm going to bring it back because I know I, I go all around mm -hmm. and my brain just gets everywhere. But I love that you talked about um, just the concept of having to re-educate everyone. So I'd love for the listeners to know the benefits that parents get and the benefits of online. And also a little bit about um, do they have to come with an assessment because you don't do in person? How does that work? Those are great questions. Before you answer that, and I apologize for cutting in. Perfect. You don't worry. I was gonna I was gonna I was gonna ask the water straight. I was gonna ask a similar question. There's been a lot of not as much anymore because of the virus being gone, but during the height of COVID, there was a lot of, for lack of a better word, hand wringing over online therapy, online teaching, yada yada. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, pressure to get kids, especially kids with disabilities, back into schools, whether or not the schools were safe, didn't matter because mm -hmm. we were being told that their children were falling behind. What would you say to, so it's sort of like Stacey's question, what would you say to assuage those parents and anybody else about the benefits of uh, telecommunication, telehealth, mm -hmm. telespeech therapy, things like that? that their kids aren't actually falling behind because they're doing it over Zoom. And, and I, I, amazing question. It is. And I really like that, Tori. And I will say, and I'm going to stop, I promise. I think also just for the listeners, clearly, it, clearly we are assuming that everyone understands teletherapy is not right for every therapist nor every child, right? So there has to be a match. Um, but we're going to listen to the good stuff that's going on with better health. <laughs> Well, with Better Speech, because we are online, there is absolutely the luxury of having it conveniently at home. And that is so, so important. And for for a majority of our clients, or I should say a majority of our people, our clients, obviously, this is really, really a massive help, massively helpful tool for them. We are in the comfort of your home. And the nice thing is, is that, so I live in the state of Pennsylvania. In my state, they're still in masks when you go to a clinic. And whether it's a shield or a mask, whatever the case may be, they're also still separating parent and child. So they can't be in the therapy room. So now you've actually taken another stressing, stressful environment. You've now have a mask or, or a shield incorporated. They're out of their element. They're now with a person that they see once a week, maybe. And now they're separated from parent or guardian. So there's a lot of stress going on. And then our fingers crossed, hoping we're going to have a really, really good session. So the stacks 
are kind mm-hmm. of stacked against them. And when we're in your home, when we're on Zoom, the nice thing is, is to be able to use technology to our advantage. And you are in the place that you're most comfortable. Your child is with you. They, you are with your child and they have all their most familiar toys. So we're able to really work in your environment with you there. And you can show us the things that you want and you can take us around your home and we can explain to you how to make things fun and functional for you. Mm -hmm. Especially I think the, the old school model is I need to sit down and study for 30 minutes and do my speech therapy and sit at my desk and, and it's not a very fun thing. We are all about building fun back mm-hmm. into therapy because therapy should be fun. Learning of course should, it be, should fun. be Yes, And we have the ability to share our screen and we have an amazing platform with tons of games. So we're mm-hmm. able to already have those therapy games built right in. Our clients have access to it mm-hmm. as, they're, as their clients are part of better speech. They can pop on whenever they want and make therapy fun and make practice fun. Mm-hmm. But also when I'm with a client and when I'm with the parent, I get to explain what I'm doing and why Mm -hmm. I'm doing it and how they can take this information that I'm giving them in 30 or 60 minutes and how they can apply it in their everyday life. Because Mm -hmm. I truly think people really want the best for other people. How can they help? And the more that we educate and teach people and share our knowledge, the better off so many people will be because then they're thinking, well, now this makes sense. This is way more functional. And I can, I can provide this in throughout my day because especially let's say your little one isn't talking quite a bit and they're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm right in their face with them and I'm trying to get them to talk. Okay, well, let's make it more fun. Mm-hmm. Bath time. When you take them to the bath, offer opportunities for them to speak and change up their routine. So you place them in the bathtub and then you wait mm-hmm. and you see what they do. And are they going to communicate to you that they want the water or that they mm-hmm. want the toys? And what are they working to communicate to you or when you're mm-hmm. having snack time and you put a little bit on their plate? Will they communicate to you that they would like more? How are they communicating? That's offering opportunities and that's making it really functional for them because the people are living their life. They're not sitting at a desk. Yep. They're getting in and out of the car. They're going to the grocery store. They're shopping for groceries and going up and down the aisle. Talk with them about, uh, talk with your little one about the things that you're taking off the shelf and you know, show, show them the association and the categories and how things make sense and really shape their world with them, mm-hmm. not for them. You're yep. doing it with them. That's it. That's it. And I have a couple of webinars I've done just on how to create opportunities for communication, because if you don't create opportunities for your non-speaking child to communicate, uh, then they're not because mm-hmm. you have to practice communication, but you don't want to do it with flashcards sitting at a table. That is boring. I tell you mm-hmm. what, if they would have had an iPad when I was a <laughs> It would have saved me a lot of time of making fish and cutting. Maker. And <laughs> that was before board maker. I mean, we used to have to make fish and put the words on it and then use paper clips with a string with the fish for the kids to go fishing for their words to practice. I mean, you that like was stamp beautiful. it down with the construction paper. Yep. I'm I like, remember stuff that. like that. I was so just, so, I'm just like on the cusp because I'm 30. So like I was a nineties baby. So when I, when they were, when they were working with me trying to like, fix me because my stuff, because I just didn't work properly like a normal kid. I was like three, you four, five, six. <laughs> <laughs> I was three, four, five, six. So they didn't have internet was just coming a thing. They didn't have iPads yet. Smartphone hadn't been invented. So I, I vaguely remember all those things. One of the questions that I'm really curious about is, so anything autism related is a niche topic. It probably shouldn't be considering how many people are being diagnosed as autistic and how many people are autistic, whether they're diagnosed or not, but it effectively is a niche. And you mentioned earlier, you emailed us. So what what brought you to our podcast? What brought you, or better yet, what brought you into the autism world? Because generally there's some sort of connection. People just don't kind of stumble in here. <laughs> well, you, I, you were recommended on for on for my podcast when I was um going through my podcast. You guys popped up as a recommendation. Oh, the algorithm's doing their doing its job okay. after. <laughs> so with that, when especially because when I first started in school, I did not have when when we go to graduate school, we get the opportunity to work with clients in the community, and they're usually local students. I didn't have students that were autistic. Some of my friends did. So we would observe our, our 
quite literal peers and working with the students to really start to get an idea of how else can we communicate? I actually had a, a great experience where I was a babysitter to a very, um, very autistic child and learning how to how to communicate with her. She was seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 when I was with mm -hmm. her and really seeing her work with the speech therapist, but also developing our communication and learning to we and, and I, I Stacey, I know you were you were headed there when you were mentioning um offering opportunities in our mm -hmm. culture. We are so quick to want to do something for them because we're nurturing, but we're also faster at it and we don't need to wait 10 minutes. But to really offer them the opportunity and the space mm -hmm. for them to learn and having that communication with her, even though it was not specifically words based, we did have communication and we were able to anticipate her wants and her needs but also offered the opportunity to allow her to communicate in the way that she was, which mm -hmm. was really, really important because she didn't have the, the iPad and mm -hmm. we still wanted her to have the ability to communicate with us. So really learning that. And then once you get into graduate school and then as you get into the field, it's, it's a lot of learning. And I don't, <laughs> I don't think any of us would say that there's just three ways to work with an autistic individual. Mm -hmm. There's not. It's no. so important to really continue educating yourself more and more mm -hmm. and learning and learning yeah. because you might have learned something five years ago and, oh, I remember that random piece of information and it applies today. That's five mm -hmm. years later. I never used it between those five years, but man, I'm so glad I learned that piece of information mm -hmm. because it's serving me now. And to really understand that learning does not stop just because you you finished high school or because you finished college at any point learning is a part of life and we should really, really embrace it and, and continue to encourage people to, to learn as much as possible so that you mm -hmm. can share knowledge and information and help others. I know. I know. I think that's one of my, I get really frustrated because I find that, um, uh, speech therapists are doing speech therapy with autistic kiddos, like traditional speech therapists. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, that's not going to work. That's why my parents are complaining that, you know, oh, it's been three years and I haven't seen any progress because they're doing, they're doing it from a approach of a neurotypical child, not an autistic individual. And that's just because they've not educated themselves exactly. on understanding what autism is. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there was a, uh, and I say, I get frustrated because I work with families who have speech therapists. And so when they say, oh, well, the speech therapist told me to do this. And I'm just like pulling my hair out. Right. And I'm like, okay, so I don't want to step on anyone's toes, but that's wrong. <laughs> that's not going to work. That's why you had to get, you know, you're not getting success because you can't just withhold and expect someone to use words. If they could use words, they would. No one's mm -hmm. holding back on words on purpose. That's no benefit to not communicate. That, that's why um, I never understood. It's like, if they could use, it's like if they could use words, mm -hmm. they could. If they could use words, they wouldn't be in speech therapy. Like yes. it's like, oh, they're not. They're, they're not doing what we want. It's like that's why they're in speech therapies. That's why I never understood when someone is in a therapy for something. It's like I once told a story about how I had a therapist. I said I'm dealing with some, with some anxiety, and the therapist said, "Well, have you considered that that's not good a good way to live?" I was like, "Well, gee." <laughs> Uh, I, I never thought of that. I just I just randomly signed up for therapy for shits and giggles because I had nothing better to do. I That's never. Crazy. Wow. So <laughs> I never understood how some therapists will, and some parents and some people in therapy, they expect that like it will just happen magically and mm -hmm. quickly. If it would, you wouldn't have needed the therapy in the first place. I just wanted to mm -hmm. add that in there. I'm sorry for cutting you off. But no, you know, I, I will. um I will share a story. I love to share stories. I'm sure if you heard the podcast, it's my, I just love stories. There was this speech therapist. I was in a school district in Texas and I was on the autism team and we were providing support to this particular classroom over a lengthy period of time. So I was there daily. Um, and there was this speech therapist that would come in and we would have all the kids sitting at the table and she would just stand there in fear, right? Like literally fear struck over her face, right? And we're all like, okay, what is she going to like, like, what it like? So we're like, do you have an activity plan? Like, what are you going to do? The kids are like waiting for the party to start. And then she was just like, you know, and she tried to do these other things. And so after like three, I, I don't even think I let her come three times. I think the second time she came in and 
I just was like, I can't watch this any longer. Right. So I went up to her and I said, listen, I need you to go and I need you to get your bag and I need you to pack all of your things. And I'm stepping out of my lane and I'm going to let my supervisor know that I'm stepping out of my lane, but you've come in here. The children are waiting for you and you just don't seem to know what to do. So I need you to go to your supervisor and tell her you can't do this job anymore. And I don't want you to come back. And I'm going to call your supervisor and let her know that I sent you because these children are waiting for you. They're relying on you as their speech therapist. You cannot work with children if you're afraid of them. So I need you to not come in here anymore because that's going to be a detriment to these children. I don't know what happened there. I don't know where she went. Why and I wasn't trying kids to. If you're afraid of kids. Because people just get jobs. Torn, there are tons of teachers teaching that just one weekend. Eh, fair and fair enough. I've, I've signed up for yeah. jobs I'm completely unqualified for, so yes. I can't say anything. Yes. And then some people, I think a lot of people go in with the grandiose idea of, you know, oh, therapy's good. Um, you know, you'll always have a job, which you will in most medical and, you know, you can always get a job or maybe they thought they were going to work in a hospital setting and wear a white coat. And, you know, those jobs are limited. So now they're stuck at a school and they really don't like children, but they need a job to pay their mortgage. And, you know, there's lots of reasons why. Um, and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't angry with the speech therapist or I wasn't judging her. I, well, I guess I was judging her, but I was really just as a professional saying, you can't do this job and they need you to be here. And if you can't, you need to be able to say, I'm uncomfortable. I'm not trained. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, don't keep coming here. <laughs> they're waiting. They need someone who knows what they're doing. Um, so that's always my frustration is that not only do we have a limit, we also have a limit of those that understand autism and are not just going to say, don't give them their iPad until they say iPad. It's like, they're never going to get their iPad they're, If they could say it, they would have said it. I mean, goodness gracious. Like who does that to themselves? Nobody. Um, so that's my. <laughs> I, I do find that, you know, especially with, with autism, I had the very fortunate opportunity of working very closely at a very young age with somebody who was nonverbal. I had a support system that was there. The mom blatantly told me, mm -hmm okay, this is how we're going to communicate this. And she showed me, she quite literally took me by the hand to explain to me how her daughter best communicated. So when I went into that environment, I was supported and mm -hmm. I was also taught. We don't have programs that are teaching very clearly how to interact with somebody who may be nonverbal, mm -hmm. who may be very sensitive, who may be mm -hmm. lining things up having a meltdown and moving mm -hmm. all over the place. We're not taught that. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because then we're, we're, we get these job proposals that are, Oh, we need a CFY. And you're like, well, I need a job. So this is mm -hmm. a great fit for me. And they're, they'll, they'll, you know, kind of put you in a situation or, or at least new grads where they might not be comfortable. And it's, it's unfortunate that it happens and it happens. And yeah. to really, to, to better prepare our grad students and, and to, you know, to any CF that, that listens to this, go where you have a supervisor on mm. site, because it's a difference that makes a difference in your actual yeah. ability to be a competent and effective clinician. Mm -hmm. And very much, I love that we have that CFY year. It's a clinical fellowship year for people who don't know where quite literally we are out of graduate school and we are then supervised by mm -hmm. another clinician who has their, their very official C's there certificate of clinical competence and it's a handholding which is great yeah when it's in place yes exactly when it's in place um i have a question that i think our listeners would want to know um so i can hear i can hear my 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 moms and dads in my head saying mm -hmm. um how will this work for um our autistic children this virtual how does that work because you know, our kids are not really wanting to engage with a computer mm -hmm. or it's really hard for me to get my child to. Um, so I would love some information for our listeners to understand how that can be effective. Um, because I think sometimes also, like I said before, during COVID, you know, mm -hmm. there were no choices, right? And not everybody was really good at online teaching or therapy. So parents didn't have really good positive experiences. So how does that work? for our that's, artistic kiddos that's a great question i'm so glad you wrapped around to it because torin actually opened it and and i went meant to made a note to come back to it so trying to figure out if your child is going to be really great with online speech therapy or is going to have a better experience with in-person therapy is definitely something to address and 
with that, so with Better Speech, we actually offer a free 15-minute consultation where you can talk to a live speech-language pathologist and not a robot, which is great. And you can ask us questions and we can also set you up session by session or a month at a time to see if this is a great fit for you. And I absolutely think it's something that should be explored because Torin, you mentioned earlier, you know, we all suddenly had to do telehealth and and us at Better Speech, we were already comfortable with it. And we, we explained that to people, you know, really speech therapy online. And we're like, yeah, it's great. Mm-hmm. And really figuring out what is best for you and your child? If if it works for you and you have a great clinician that you have this amazing rapport with, you will know right away. If you start to see, you know, they're sometimes engaged in technology, but maybe it's the clinician that doesn't have a great rapport. That's entirely possible. And what is what's really, really great, I think, at least for me, is that to be aware of that and then to say, okay, this is working for us, but can we also work with another clinician mm-hmm. to see if we have a better fit? And it's not personal, yeah. it's professional to really mm-hmm. say, you know what, things, I like the information you have, I appreciate it, but you know what, I want to actually work with another clinician just in case. We have the ability to to provide that to you. Oh, Whereas good. if you go to an outpatient clinic, you've now waited six months to get an evaluation <laughs> Not yet. How are we getting treatment? We finally get treatment maybe two, three months later when a spot opens up and then you only have one clinician and that's it. And it's not the ability to really say, okay, well, let me wait for another clinician. You don't have that opportunity in an, in when you're in an outpatient clinic. So I'd really encourage people to see what works best for you and your family. If online therapy is great and and you want to explore it and you want to keep trying, Absolutely. You're going to know. You're going to really start to write it down and and really track. Is this working for me and my family? I encourage so many people to write down because you don't remember day to day and you don't remember week to week. Write it down. Worked with a clinician and had a really great rapport. We had a great session, worked on this. Boom. And just for their own personal reflection, but also to then be able to say, okay, well, when we were in person, this is what I was experiencing. There, there are people who absolutely thrive with online therapy, and there are people who thrive with in-person therapy. So I'm not going to say one is better than the other. It's what is whatever works best for you, and that is what's most important. You and your. What are the ages? What are the ages that you all um, provide services to? The children's ages. Uh, um, I would say the my youngest. I think my youngest that I evaluated was 18 months. Mm -hmm. And then we go all the way up to 18 years. And then we also work with adults. So really for speech therapy (laughs) from the neck Mm -hmm. up and anybody, (laughs) anybody who's really wanting to improve their communication, Mm -hmm. because it really, we have the ability to provide therapy and service and care. I actually have one individual who is, they are post-stroke and technically they are functional because they can express, but they're they're very self-conscious and they will self-isolate because they don't feel that they are effectively expressing. Mm-hmm. So now that they've graduated from inpatient and now patient rehab, they wanted more therapy. And we at Better Speech are able to provide that therapy yeah. because she's quite literally saying, I don't feel comfortable. On paper, she mm-hmm. is scoring clearly, but personally and, and in her own relationships at home, she doesn't feel that. So it's important that she is able to get that communication need fulfilled. Mm -hmm. I I will, I will, um, uh, your, your story just sparked a unknown fact that I have not shared with many people in my life um, in regards to what we were talking about earlier, that speech therapists do so much, right? It's not just speech. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Speech therapists also help actors and folks with accents, right? And so when I was very young um, and loved boxing, I said, when I finish speech therapy school, I'm going to teach Mike Tyson how to speak clearly. (laughs) Not realizing that he didn't really need to speak clearly as a boxer, but I thought it was so important because I grew up in a household where speaking clearly was important. Um, Oh, yes. Uh, For my mother. And and so, and just growing up as, um, uh, you know, black person in the South, it was very important for us to be able to articulate well um, and um, and to be able to present as if we were literate because um, I think my mom's generation was the first that was able to actually learn how to read. My grandma learned how to read 
um, on the sly because she used to take care of this little girl in a family. And that's how she learned to read. When they were teaching the girl, wow. she would eavesdrop. But my mom is an avid reader as I am um, in my boys. And so it was very important based on my mm -hmm. mother's experience for us to be able to communicate as if we were educated and that we were literate, because if not, you know, that's limiting in many places, but specifically um, when I was born in the sixties in the South. So with that said, um, now everybody knows that I that's wasn't sorry. always thinking about the children, I guess, for a sleeting moment, I wanted to help Mike Tyson become a better communicator. And I don't even know why I thought that was important, but apparently I did. And so he's done just fine. Without yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do. We're, we're running up against time because Stacy has uh, grandma duties. But I do have one <laughs> last question. You mentioned um, stroke victims. So something that a lot of stroke victims and autistic people have in common is an issue with processing where there's a delay between when they hear something and when they say it. This was mm -hmm. most notably mentioned you're in Pennsylvania. There's most notably the current senator-elect from Pennsylvania has stroke during his campaign. And during debate, that was an issue where they'd ask him something, there'd be a bit of a delay and everyone freaked out. So what when you have a parent, especially with an autistic person, because at least when you have a stroke, people kind of understand. But when an autistic person, they're like, I need them to respond. They have to respond. They have to respond. How do you explain to the parent that it's part of autism? Or is there a way you can actually work the kid to make them respond faster? We would do both approaches depending on where they are, we would look mm -hmm. at both components, but to really allow people to understand that they want to communicate. This little individual that's listening to you wants to be heard. We naturally want to communicate. We naturally want to be seen and heard and to allow them the time to hear the information for it to go through their processing system and then to express it in whatever way is functional for them. And I do encourage parents, wait. And to really have that pause and that waiting time, because especially in our culture, I, I so I grew up in the 80s and the 90s, and I grew up in New York. We were fast paced to begin with. And I feel like 2022 is already caffeinated, hyped up and already on speed, yep. going a mile a minute. Well, so born and ask, raised in New York City. So, yeah, <laughs> there you yeah, go. I know exactly how that is. So we're naturally wanting to speed things up. We're we're and we're a culture that's really, really working fast and to really take that pause and to remember that this is a person communicating and that it's important that you give them that space and that time mm -hmm. to communicate. They're not on that train. They're on their own train. And we need to yep. be respectful of that. We can encourage communication. And to, to Stacy, you know, especially with words coming out, we can encourage that opportunity to express themselves we cannot force them and we cannot pull those words out. We have to be respectful of that. And that's something to really, that people will come up against. And it's a learning curve because they're used to quick, quick, mm -hmm. quick. And you really got to hit that pause and say, okay, I'm going to wait. No. And wait, wait no. it out. And I have a Go ahead. I'm so sorry. No, you're fine. Um, and then to encourage that child, what is it? that they're getting delayed on. If you're asking three-step directions from them, mm -hmm. okay, well, I told you to put your shoes on, get ready to go outside. That's a lot for them to yeah. hear in that burst of information, but it's also a lot to process. So do they need simpler commands? Do they need a slower rate? Am I asking them a very big open-ended question? Am I asking them a small, a small question? Do you want orange juice or apple juice? It's mm -hmm. much easier. They can process that versus what juice do you want? Now mm -hmm. they have to go through their catalog and figure yeah. out which juice they want. So it depends on what we're asking and what the, what the context is. But that was an awesome question, Torin. Thank you so much. No problem. And for, for our listeners, um, you can't see, but um, uh, she held up when she said apple, the orange juice and the two, she held up her hands as if visual support. So visual supports are important. They're great. Choice boards are great. If you're starting out for some kids, not all kids, but giving them the, the showing them the carton of each item and letting them choose helps them. I always say it helps them to recall and pull from their word bank because if not, they have to go through their word bank. Um, I have two um, videos that I've made to help parents understand the processing and they're called literally give time to process. And it's videos of me working with children, showing that time to process. And when I show it to parents, I make them count. 
And I say to any parent, I am a talker. I am a verbal processor. If I can stop and wait, anybody can, because I have three ticker tapes going at one time to say things. So if, if I can sit and pause and allow a child to respond, um, anybody can, like literally, uh, that's really hard work for me. <laughs> it's really hard work. Um, so I'm, it's so, you know, I have to say, I know it's under not my normal circumstances in my, my office environment, but this has been so delightful in terms of speaking with um, a speech therapist who understands and is giving the message, especially the message that we're trying to give in terms of um, allowing autistic individuals to communicate in the way that works for them while we're building something that may be more efficient and consistent, whatever that looks like, right? Whatever that looks like. So I'm thankful that someone else is giving that message. Um, it just, I don't get to hear that because I get the crisis calls, right? So I don't get to hear... Uh, <laughs> In fact, I will tell my last funny story, Torin. I said something about my the the baby that's one, um, and I told my best friend, "Oh my gosh, she's blah 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 blah." And she's like, "Okay, I'm so used to kids who are not where, <laughs> so I think everything is brilliant." <laughs> and I'm a grandmother, and I think my kid, yeah, of course she's brilliant. But it was so funny because I'm so out of touch with what you typically see in regards to language communication development um, that I just forgot because I'm used to allowing time to process, mm -hmm. but you know, I'm, I'm used to um, used the kids really not, not struggling with mouth words till they're five. So yeah, yeah. But it's really wrong hard that, for... to say that, you, that that is very interesting. We should talk about that at some point. Um, uh, I've, I've trained myself so well to understand the way autistic individuals communicate. I have forgotten how neurotypicals communicate. So no, Leonora, it's no longer before we go, um, mm -hmm. this is your chance to plug any of your stuff. Yes. Uh, where can we find you? Where are some of the stuff you, you're, you're up to? Um, plug away. Well, thank you. Um, so you can visit us at betterspeech.com. We offer that free 15-minute consultation, and you can speak with a speech-language pathologist and get those questions answered. I don't know if any of you roll over at 2 a.m. with questions, but waiting six months to talk to a professional oh. does not sit well on my heart. Yeah. So yeah. you can reach out to us at betterspeech.com. We will be there, and you can absolutely ask any and all questions that you would like. And we are on all that social media gloriousness, so come visit us, <laughs> leave comments, likes, subscribes, all that jazz. And I had a fantastic time with both of you. Anytime you guys want to talk, I am here and I will yeah. happily come back and, and, and be with all, you anytime. All the links to that, we'll definitely have you back. And all the links to that will be in description. Uh, do you have any like so do you have any social media pages of yourself do, that that uh you have? They're all better or? speech. So better so speech, YouTube, TikTok, um, Instagram, okay. Facebook. Well, you got the whole nine us. yards. Wow. We did. I could I could never Perfect. I could never hand, handle all of those. Well, but, there's yeah. a great <laughs> team that I work with. Yeah. I don't handle yeah. all of that. <laughs> I figured that. But it's yeah, now uh, where our you know teens are on social media and parents can no longer say, Well, you can't get a job in that. Oh, uh, they actually can now. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, just like my, my I answer stuff like that. So you can't get a job. Actually, yeah. people make their teens making living play, living playing Fortnite. Yep, but um, let's wrap this up, Stacy. That's why we're working to shift the narrative on everything autism. Yes. And you mm -hmm. have to share with others who need their narrative shifted. Yes, like and subscribe. <laughs> apparently the algorithm actually works. I didn't know that. So apparently the algorithm is doing something. So share, like, comment, all yes. that good stuff. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on. Yes. Thank you for having me, guys. It was great being here. Thanks a lot.